0: Lord bless you, John. good morning I want to extend Christian greetings to each one count it a privilege to be here again this morning seems like it's been a little while since I've been been down this way how many of you have been disciplined. Most of us have. How many of you appreciate or appreciated discipline? That's not a trick question. <laughs> you know, growing up, growing up as a child, I I never liked being disciplined. Now that I have a family, I appreciate the discipline I received growing up. We don't understand completely when we are children why we are punished for, for this and for that. Sure, we were, we were punished for, for disobedience, for lying, maybe for, for stealing, maybe for talking back, but would we do it again? Maybe not right away, but later we'd mess up and and we'd be punished again. Our parents were, were trying to, to help us, and we felt like they were just being hard on us. And we forget that they were children one time, too, and their parents discipline them. So now they see the importance of passing that along. At what age then do we become old enough to not need discipline? Who knows what that age is? You can think about that a little bit. As a teenager, your legs are, are hollow. And so when the, when the cookies or, or donuts are passed, two, three, four, maybe five of them end up on your plate. And after a little, you say, pass the cookies or the donuts again. And mother says, eat more casserole. What is she saying? What she's saying is that you've had enough sweets. If you're still hungry, eat more of the main course. You see, when we, when we get older, if we didn't have mother to tell us when to stop, we might sit down and eat a dozen cookies or a dozen donuts by ourselves because of no discipline. I believe discipline follows us to the grave. So this morning I want to bring a message on a disciplined life. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 it says, God hath not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And those last two words, sound mind, refer to someone who has self-control. You may turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I'd like to read a couple of verses here. <clears throat> verses 22 and 23. Galatians 5:22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. Here in verse 23, we have the word temperance. Here again, the idea of self-control. Discipline is what believers need the most, but want the least. Much of the restlessness and the instability in the lives of many Christians can be traced to the basic fault of an undisciplined way of life. There may be secondary causes, but somewhere behind all of them is a fundamental need for discipline. The discipline I'm speaking of is is far more than than just the use of an alarm clock. It involves self-restraint, courage, and perseverance as the inner armor of the soul. Many emotional disorders among believers are the accumulated results of years of self-indulgent living. And I'm not thinking of, of backsliders who drift back into sin, but of respectable Christians who are indisciplined. A lifelong pattern of of running away from trials, of avoiding difficult people, seeking the easy way, giving up when the going gets rough produces sick believers who are incapable either of fulfilling God's perfect will for their lives or of functioning as useful members of the body of Christ. Proverbs 24:10 says, "If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small." Days of adversity will come to us all. Only by consistent disciplined living can that strength of character be developed in us. That can be, that can enable us to face those days of adversity without fainting. Discipline is the key to power. The advantage that a man with a disciplined life has will be seen not only in in greater holiness and spirituality, but also a greater efficiency and effectiveness in everything that he does for the Lord. The advantages that the disciplined person has over the undisciplined one shows up in many normal matters of daily life. The disciplined person picks up his clothes. The undisciplined one leaves them lie around. The disciplined person rinses the bathroom sink that he uses. The undisciplined one leaves it dirty for someone else to clean. One plans his work and works his plan. The other one works haphazardly. One is always punctual in keeping his appointments. The other one is notoriously late. One is always on time for church meetings. The other is never on time. The difference in in all these cases is not one of character, but of habit. Believers who get God's best in life are the ones who who are thoughtful, systematic, thrifty, punctual, and neat. Discipline, the mark of maturity. You may turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway Paul is saying here that that he trains his body to do what it should not what it wants to and so we need to have a holy fear of ourselves and and not a presumptuous confidence and this begins with with discipline in our eating habits, and the ability to say, no, thank you, I've had plenty. And if I ate like my two older boys do, it's hard telling what I'd look like. And I'm not saying I've said, no, thank you, I've had plenty often enough. How about our emotions? They, too, must be brought under control. God certainly wants us to be warm-hearted. But the warm heart must be wise. otherwise it can end up doing and, and saying many foolish things that can be regretted later on. There's a couple of good verses in the Proverbs that I'd like to like to read the first one is in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 28. The heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. Then going over to chapter 29. Chapter 29 and verse 20. Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? There is more hope of a fool than of him. Are we quick to just spout off what, what comes to our minds, or do we, we think about what we are going to say before it rolls off of our tongue? Emotional attachments to, to friends must also be disciplined two friends may become so close that they become possessive and exclusive. And this is unhealthy and and harmful. In in conversations with the opposite sex a certain reserve and distance must be be preserved at all costs. The advice that, that Jesus gave to pluck out the, the offending eye or to cut off the offending hand or foot may be appropriate in certain situations. Our soul, our home, our happiness can all be saved only if we take drastic action and, and put our feelings to death. Don't let Satan make you say, I couldn't help it. In time, your emotions will follow the lead of your disciplined purpose. Don't start fires that you'll later have to fight to put out. How about our moods? Disciplined character also means the controlling of our moods we've been around people who have been, in quotes, in one of their moods. As long as we are in the flesh, physical weariness can cause temporary discouragement quite easily. But we can, by discipline, ensure that our moods don't hinder our work, our behavior, or our relationship with others. When we are slaves to our moods, we can, we can make bad decisions, we can spend money unwisely, we can neglect our duties, and even change our behavior. And they'll learn to be careful in, in their relationships with us because they never quite know what mood they'll find us in. And all of this makes for a poor testimony for our Savior. A disciplined Christian behaves just as well when he feels bad as he does when he feels good. He never complains that he doesn't feel like doing something Discipline in our speech. You can turn to to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. A person may have a a disciplined body, a disciplined mind, and will, and even disciplined emotions. But a loose tongue can be fatal. Frankness in speech is not necessarily a Christian virtue. Only a fool expresses everything that comes to his mind. Frankness is... Is a virtue only when it is coupled with intelligent, loving tact and discretion. But it can become an, an evil thing when it is the uncontrolled expression of, of opinions without regard to time, place, or or human feelings. It often takes much more discipline to to refrain from. From speaking than it does to speak. Forbearance and patience are the virtues that we all need to to develop. Discipline in priorities. We must learn to give first priority to the kingdom of God and and His righteousness in practical daily living. And this requires the the discipline to reject day by day that that great list of of activities that beg for our attention and time, but it would hinder us from doing more important things. Selection, selection, selection. This is the law of life. We cannot do everything, and so we must select. Select. We've been getting plenty of rain in our area the last little while, and so I'm getting behind in my work. And so I have to sit down and prioritize my jobs. We cannot read everything. We must select. Our spiritual stature will be determined by our discipline in, in selecting our priorities. If we major in minors and, and allow our friends to dictate our priorities, we will drift weekly with the tide of daily circumstances and we'll end up useless to God and useless to men. Discipline in this area will, will push a person out of bed early in the morning to to seek God instead of rolling around for another half an hour while we're wide awake. Submission to authority. Hebrews 13, 17 says to obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Another mark of the disciplined person is the ability to submit to authority Gracefully. In most of life's normal relationships, rebellion is, is stupid and, and destructive. Habitual rebellion is the mark of a carnal Christian. It doesn't require either intelligence or character to say, no one can tell me what to do. As we see things changing in the, in the world around us rather rapidly, we need to be aware of the fact that our submission is first to God. If the world asks us to do something that is contrary to the will of God, we must obey God rather than men. Discipline and holiness. We must not confuse disciplined living with holy living. The two are not the same. True holiness begins and ends with living for the glory of God. Whereas discipline can, if we are not careful, begin and end with living for the glory of self. A disciplined living is certainly necessary in maintaining holiness and in consolidating in it into firm character. But no amount of discipline can make the sinful heart holy. Discipline may tie down certain bad habits and restrain them, but it cannot create a clean heart. Even the discipline of suffering cannot make us holy. Suffering itself never purifies anyone. Suffering is, is meant to draw us to God, who alone can, can sanctify us. True holiness is, is imparted to us by the Holy Spirit, not because we have suffered, but because we have surrendered to Him and in the midst of our suffering we are sanctified not by our tears but by faith in Christ's blood and by submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God the work of holiness is an inward work and discipline makes that work to be manifest in our external lives God's grace can help us to discipline ourselves and give us continual power to keep on denying self. Even at times when when our flesh cries out for an easier path, God's light can, can purify our motives in our search for a disciplined life. False holiness is often seen in an Unnatural self-discipline. There are those who are legalistic, quick to criticize others, afraid to laugh. Their behavior is often an, an attempt to compensate for some hidden sin. It is through an honest confession of our sin, being cleansed and broken and being filled with the spirit that we Partake of that holiness. Ephesians 4.24 says, And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. It's then that we can can relax, act naturally, and be normal human beings. Turn with me to, to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, like to read verses 6 to 10. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. The fact of eternity itself should motivate us to discipline ourselves for godliness. Here in this passage, Paul isn't against exercising. He's just saying that it's far better to, to discipline yourselves spiritually because it will put you in, in good stead, not only in this life but also in the life to come. We are, ought to work much harder at our, our godliness than, than we do at our games Verse 10 says we trust in the living God. When we have fixed our hope on the living God, God is real. He is the one who is is here. He's there. He's everywhere. He created the universe and all that is in it. Because He is the living God, we can live each day in, in communion with him. This verse also says that God is the Savior of all men. Paul is not saying that, that all people will be saved. If that were the case, then, then why did, did Paul pour out his life for the gospel? Paul clearly taught that, that Christ is, is returning to take his people to, to be with him, apart from Christ. People are alienated from, from God on their way to eternal judgment. But God has provided salvation for, for all who will, will believe. Verse 7 says, exercise thyself. If you talk to anyone who is involved in, in sports and ask what they do in their spare time, you'd find that they exercise whether it be tennis or football or softball or volleyball or basketball or whatever, you will not find them by a stream sitting there fishing, waiting for their next big game. No. They are playing and practicing and exercising to stay in shape. You don't see 400-pound men playing basketball, unless it's digital. Spiritual exercise is a lifetime process. It's not a question of having a schedule. You have one. We all have the same number of hours in a day. We all make time to do what we want to do. The question is, is your schedule in line with your goal of becoming a godly person. Discipline is is not being so rigid that you are insensitive to what God is doing. If you are having your devotional time and, and a child comes running over and says, Dad, look what I just did. And you turn to him and say, can't you see that I'm reading my Bible? that's being insensitive to your child. Jesus always did the Father's will, but he always had time for, <clears throat> for people who interrupted him. And I'm reminded of the, of the story in, in Mark chapter 5 where Jesus was interrupted and, and maybe we ought to turn to that. In Mark chapter 5, Beginning at verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell on his feet, and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed. Came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And he was come in, and when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Gumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given her to eat. The story of, of this woman with an issue of, of blood who had this, had this problem for 12 years is inserted here to, to help us realize that regardless of, of how busy we are, regardless of where we are headed, there may be things or, or people that get in our way or that God allows to to come across our paths at at certain times to help us stay focused on our goal. The goal of the Christian life is is not happiness and fulfillment. It is godliness and becoming a servant of Jesus Christ. I don't remember where I, I heard this or read this, but someone said this, Whenever I feel like exercising, I go and lie down until the feeling goes away. And a lot of us can identify with that. Exercise is discipline. And discipline is is hard work. And who likes hard work? And yet, discipline is essential for godliness. In conclusion, I'd like to share a list of of ways on how to become a disciplined person. And there's, I have 14 listed, and, and there could be many more. But here, I'd like to share this list with you. Number one, reinforce your motivation for a disciplined life. Think of the disappointment that you will be to God if you fail to be the man or woman that he wants you to be just because you are too lazy. Number two, begin with the simple things. A disciplined Christian will always seek to avoid making unnecessary work for others. Hang up your clothes or or put them away. Make your bed neatly every morning. Keep the sink clean. And put your shoes in their proper place. Clean the tools that you use and put them back where they belong. There used to be a mechanic in our neighborhood who would clean his tools and put them away after every job. He had a very neat, organized shop. Show, number three, show respect to all men, even to the poor and lowly. When speaking or listening to someone, develop the habit of looking them in the face, as if no one else mattered to you at the moment. When in a meeting, discipline yourself to keep your eye on the speaker instead of allowing your eyes to to wander here and there. Number four, tackle the difficult tasks promptly. Do first the things that you would rather do last. Number five, be punctual for the meetings of the church and for other appointments. The habit of of being on time will never be acquired unless you are convinced that Christian courtesy demands it. Number six don't waste your time in, in idle daydreaming. Bring every thought into captivity to Christ. Make use of your spare time to to read books that edify or visit with someone or, or help someone. Number seven, don't be agitated when, Unexpected events throw your well-laid plans into confusion. now I'll have to admit, I was challenged on this one yesterday. I had quite a list of things that needed to be done yesterday, and so I got up early yesterday morning, and, and I took the, we have actually have two vans, we have a full size van and a mini size minivan and i took the full size van to down to the gas station to to get gas in preparation of coming down here this morning and on the way to the gas station realized that the brakes are not working properly and after i did get it stopped i went out and looked and realized that there was brake fluid spewing out onto the onto the ground. So I took that van back home, got the other van out, checked the oil in it. It was looking rather filthy, so I thought, well, maybe I better wash it and get it ready to go. So I washed it, got it ready to go. Then I went inside and told my wife, I said, "Uh, we're going to have to make some changes about going to South Boston tomorrow. Yeah, why is that? I said, well, for one thing, our our full-size van doesn't have brakes. She said, well, can't you just fix it? I said, well, you know, she she likes to think I can do about everything, and I like to keep her thinking that way. (laughs) But that's, I don't mind changing the oil in a vehicle, but, you know, when it comes to, to brake lines, and I looked at it, but I thought, you know, with my few tools that I have, it would be quite a chore. And with the other list of things that I had on my list to do that day, that had, there was no room for that in there. And so I explained to her, I said, well, we'll just have to leave a couple more of the children at home and, and take the minivan. So I left and, and did some other chores. While I was away, my wife called me and she said, uh, you know, that's not going to work very well to take just the young children along because then I don't have any babysitters for in church. Okay. So what are you saying? She said, well, maybe, she said, I think it maybe be better if I just stay at home. Okay. Believe that God has your best in mind and give thanks for his direction in life. I was glad that I found out about those breaks a mile from home rather than on this side of Afton. Number eight, love your critics. Cultivate an attitude of sincere gratitude for all correction. Getting offended when when corrected is a sign of immaturity. Be willing to learn from the lowliest. Nine, be restrained in the area of curiosity. Don't be a busybody in in the matters of others. Don't be stubborn in insisting that you alone are right. Number ten, Conquer gluttony. Eating is not a sin, but gluttony is. And Paul said, all things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. Yes, we should eat heartily and and with enjoyment, but we should know how much is good for us and have the self-control to stop when we should. You know, the best exercise for for health is the push-ups from the dining table. Number 11, learn to wait. To grab something before God's time is to spoil it. There's a time in God's timetable for for all things. Wait for that time and and don't rush ahead. We don't help God by by opening a, a rosebud, we simply spoil the blossom. Number 12, welcome the difficult tasks in life. Cultivate a, a sense of responsibility in doing them faithfully. Ask yourself these questions. Can I be depended on to fulfill any task? assigned to me? Am I quick to help when a job needs done, or do I find myself slipping away quietly? Do I accept responsibility for my decisions as well as my mistakes? Can I be depended on in money matters? Number thirteen be systematic in in prayer and bible reading this is essential for a disciplined life the discipline to set aside time for this at any cost every day will by itself bring rich rewards number 14 Avoid unnecessary luxuries and don't be wasteful in spending money money. Second Timothy two three says, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There are dangers in, in times of ease and, and prosperity that can be avoided by practicing self denial on our part. Our goal in life is is Christ-likeness, not a comfortable life. The Christian life is is serious, it's challenging, and demanding. Following Jesus will not lead us to a picnic, but to a battle. And in Romans 15, we are told that, that even Christ pleased not himself. And so may we have a, a passion for improving the quality of our Christian life and have a sense of stewardship towards life to fulfill God's will and be ready at all times for, for sacrifice or for service. And do it all for Jesus' sake. Shall we have a song?